You're listening to Satterfield on Sports, your source for in-depth commentary on the whole wide world of sports. From Major League Baseball to the National Football League to the English Premier League and beyond. Here's your host, Kyle Satterfield. Welcome back to Satterfield on Sports, and welcome back to the National Football League. Week one is in the books, and football season is well and truly underway. On this episode, I want to whip around to a few of the key games from last weekend and visit a few of the most important storylines I will begin in Kansas City, Missouri at Arrowhead Stadium where the Chiefs and the Browns played an instant classic, the Chiefs winning 33-29. As a Browns fan, I understand the urge to say, same old Browns. This was the reaction to this game by many Cleveland fans, and understandably so. The Browns found a way to lose this game in the fourth quarter in heartbreaking fashion. But to say same old Browns would be an overreaction because the same old Browns would have lost this game by four touchdowns. These Browns, these new Browns that won a playoff game in Pittsburgh this past January, these Browns who are rightfully viewed by many as legitimate Super Bowl contenders, these Browns were in control of this football game for three and a half quarters on the road against the team that has won the last two AFC titles and won the Super Bowl two seasons ago. These Browns were the better team for three and a half quarters. And yes, they lost, and they deserved to lose, But the mistakes that prove costly are very correctable. Two in particular. One, Nick Chubb, elite running back, fumbled the football late in the third quarter. Brown's driving up by five. So instead of going up by two scores at the end of the third quarter, the Chiefs went down, kicked a field goal, and were only down by two at the end of the third. The second mistake was really inexplicable. Jamie Gillen, the punter, with the Browns ahead by two in the fourth quarter, just dropped the snap, was unable to kick the ball away, and was tackled inside his own 20, giving the Chiefs a very short field for what would prove to be the game-winning touchdown. If the Browns hold on to the football in the second half, they win this game. They win this game at Arrowhead Stadium in front of a raucous crowd against Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, and the world-class Kansas City Chiefs. The Browns were the better team for three and a half quarters. They gave this game away, and to their credit, the Chiefs took it and took advantage of those mistakes to win. The Chiefs are great. We already knew that. We knew the Chiefs were elite. Patrick Mahomes, best quarterback in professional football. Tyreek Hill, the best deep threat wide receiver in the league. Travis Kelsey, the best tight end in the league. Their offense is a cheat code. The Browns did not just play with them. They were better than the Chiefs for three and a half quarters. Baker Mayfield was locked in. That one-two punch on the ground of Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, the Chiefs had no answer for that. In the end, the answer was just hope they fumble. That was the Chiefs' defensive game plan. Just hope they drop the ball. 
Just hope they literally give us the ball because we cannot stop them. Great football game. Great football game. The overreaction here is to dismiss the Browns as pretenders to say same old Browns. That is a wild overreaction. These Browns are good. And the fact they only lost by four, the fact they lost from a great winning position, they gave the game away, actually bodes very well for the rest of the regular season. Playing at Kansas City, that on paper is the toughest game on the Browns' schedule. They return home now and play the Texans, one of the worst teams in the NFL. The future is bright for the Browns. Of course, it's bright for the Chiefs. They have Patrick Mahomes. As long as he is slinging the rock, the Chiefs will be Super Bowl contenders. To me, those two teams on the field in Kansas City on Sunday afternoon, the two best teams in the AFC, one and two Chiefs and Browns, but the Browns are closing that gap would not be surprised if these two teams play again in the playoffs. I am very, very confident in the Browns to reach the playoffs. I remain worried, as I was all offseason, could they clear that hurdle of the Chiefs in the playoffs? They were unable to do so last January, even with Mahomes missing almost the entire second half with a concussion. The Browns were unable to win that game. Can they close the gap this season? They are really close. They are really close. Those two football teams will be two teams to watch all season long. Browns and Chiefs, what a football game that was on Sunday afternoon. From Kansas City, Missouri, we will now go west to SoFi Stadium, a palace in Los Angeles, home of the LA Rams, where Matthew Stafford finally has a good team around him. And the league ain't ready for this. The league ain't ready for Matthew Stafford, an elite quarterback with an elite arm. He can make every throw on the field. And now he has a really good head coach and Sean McVay who led these Rams to the Super Bowl just three seasons ago. He has a really good defense led by Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey. The Rams are really good and they are early Super Bowl, not favorites out of the NFC, but in that upper echelon of teams who should be viewed as favorites to win the NFC and go to the Super Bowl. In Detroit, Matthew Stafford, now he had offensive weapons. He had Calvin Johnson for many years, one of the best wide receivers in NFL history. But the problems were twofold for the Lions. One, it was a head coaching carousel, a revolving door at that position. So no stability and no continuity for that franchise. And this is going back decades now. Also, Matt Stafford's defense was almost always ranked near the bottom of the league in every meaningful statistical category. So he had to win a shootout every Sunday. Here's a fact about the Lions that I will have to say twice because it is so absurd. The Detroit Lions franchise has won one playoff game since 1957. I'll allow that to rattle around your brain for a second, and I'll say it again. The Lions have won one playoff game since 1957, and that was all the way back in January 1992 when Barry Sanders was their running back. One playoff win in more than 60 years. And Matt Stafford did all he could to change that. 
that is a broken franchise from top to bottom. But now he is in LA with the Rams. He has a really good head coach. He has the defense. He has the weapons. And on Sunday night, Sunday night football on NBC, Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth on the call, the whole country watching, Matt Stafford put on a show. 20 for 26, 321 yards, three touchdowns, and no picks. Had Stafford, as he often did, put up a stat line like that playing for the Lions, the final score would have been 31-28 or 38-35. But on Sunday night, when Stafford led his offense to 34 points, his team won the game by 20 because his defense only allowed 14. It is an entirely new reality for Matthew Stafford playing with the Rams, and it is an entirely new reality for this league. It is a different league with Matt Stafford, an elite quarterback, playing for a good team, a structurally sound organization. Now, I must talk about the Bears because that franchise is more like the Lions in terms of how it's run. It's not run well. Matt Nagy is on the hot seat. Right now, he's going with Andy Dalton as QB1 with Justin Fields, the rookie QB from the Ohio State University, on the bench. He was given a few snaps in the game on Sunday. He had a very limited package. He would come off the bench and he'd run a design quarterback run or a fake reverse shovel pass they they put in the playbook for him, a quick throw to the outside. He only threw two passes. He actually did run for a touchdown, his first touchdown of his career. But Andy Dalton is the starter, and that has a very low ceiling. Andy Dalton in his prime with the Bengals was only a slightly above average quarterback, does not even have a career two-to-one touchdowns to interceptions ratio. He has never been that good. Decent for spells, but not for not an elite quarterback. He's not, this is not Brady. This is not Mahomes. It's laughable to even speak his name in the same sentence as quarterbacks like that. Rodgers, Breeze, retired now, but Russell Wilson, another one in that upper echelon of quarterbacks. Dalton has never been close to that. But this is a situation wherein the front office and the head coach are not on the same page. Matt Nagy believes, and understandably so, he is coaching for his life. So he fears if he gives Fields the keys to the car and the thing goes off the road and they go 5-12, and 12, he will be fired. In a healthy organization where the front office drafts Justin Fields, they traded up to get him in the first round. They get Justin Fields. They then tell the head coach, hey, the final decision is yours. However, if you play the kid we are giving you and it goes wrong, you're getting another year at a minimum. We will not fire you for playing the kid that we drafted. That communication must not be there. Or maybe Nagy really believes Dalton is the better quarterback. But Nagy is coaching like a man who is fearing for his job. So he's going with a low-ceiling veteran thinking, this can get me close to 500. This can get me close to the playoffs. It has a higher floor than Fields, but a lower ceiling. If the front office and coach are on the same page, Justin Fields is starting next week in week two. But they'll probably go Dalton again 
and this thing will continue to spiral downward. The Bears are a mess. Let the kid play. You know what you have in Dalton. Find out what you have in Fields. The ceiling is really, really high with that young man. From Los Angeles, California, we now travel all the way back across the country to Jacksonville, Florida, but not to talk about the Jaguars or even a game involving the Jaguars. The Jags were in Houston on Sunday. In Jacksonville, the Saints played the Packers because of the impact of Hurricane Ida a few weeks back in Louisiana. The Superdome is not ready to play football games in yet. So the Saints are playing their home games in Jacksonville for right now. And they blew the Green Bay Packers off the field 38-3. Five touchdown passes by Jameis Winston, famous Jameis, now QB1 for New Orleans. The story here, the Packers, and specifically Aaron Rodgers. The Aaron Rodgers saga in Green Bay has been the number one story in the NFL all offseason long. I talked about it on this podcast back in the spring when discussing the NFL draft. Aaron Rodgers demanding a trade, upset because of the draft last year in 2020 when the Packers drafted his replacement, Jordan Love, out of Utah State. Rodgers wanted them to go get him a weapon to help him win now. He was furious. So there is a a rift between the front office and Rodgers. And he has been bad-mouthing them all offseason, including in an interview with Fox Sports that aired prior to the game on Sunday— Packers and Saints. He has been bad-mouthing the organization all summer long, and I defended him back in the spring, and I stand by what I said. The drafting of Jordan Love was a bit ridiculous. I understand wanting to get a replacement for Rodgers as he gets older, but Jordan Love, not terribly impressive in college at Utah State, and the Packers have been so close for so long since they last won the Super Bowl about a decade ago or so. Get Rodgers some help. You're almost there. Get him over the hump so you can win the Super Bowl now. Don't think about the future yet. Also, the Packers throughout Rodgers' career have been really poor defensively in the playoffs. Most of Aaron Rodgers' postseason losses can be chalked up to bad defense. Get him some help. So I have been on Rodgers' side. However, I can't defend you When you are running your mouth, bad-talking your organization, and then you go out and do what you did on Sunday, he only threw for a buck 33, no touchdowns and two picks, and the Packers only scored three points the entire football game. That can't happen. And now we have serious red flags all over this Packers organization. We know the rift between Rodgers and the front office. Is there now a rift between Rodgers and head coach Matt LaFleur, between Rodgers and his teammates? What is happening here? We're talking about reactions and overreactions. Calling the Packers a disaster right now is not an overreaction. What would be an overreaction is to write them off and say season's over. Look at the rest of that division. In fact, all four teams lost this weekend. Packers. Lions, Vikings, Bears, they all lost. They're all 0-1. They're all tied for first. They're all tied for last. The Packers remain very viable candidates to win this division. But there are problems here. Rodgers is getting older, serious institutional problems within the organization. 
Is there any trust between Rodgers and his teammates and vice versa? Rodgers and the coaching staff and vice versa? What is happening? The Packers play at home against the Lions next Monday night. That is as close to a must-win game in week two as there ever will be in the NFL. The Packers at home need to take care of business against the lowly Lions. Even if they lose that game, though, the division is so wide open, they would be very much alive, but they need to bounce back in a big way on Monday. And Rodgers can't say what he said over the offseason and then throw for 133 yards, no scores, and two picks. That cannot happen. That is unacceptable performance by one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play this sport. From Jacksonville, Florida, we now go just across the state to Tampa, Florida. This was the first game on the NFL schedule last Thursday. The Buccaneers on a last-second field goal slipping past the Dallas Cowboys. Tom Brady, is he immortal? That, that is a question that must be asked at this point. The man is 44 years old. He played last Thursday as well as I've ever seen him play. The accuracy, the precision and complete control of the offense, the clutch drive at the end to push his team into field goal position to kick the game winner. It was the full Tom Brady experience. Father time is undefeated. But Tom Brady is giving him a run for his money. 44 years old, he remains elite. But on the other side, Dak Prescott, oh yeah, he is all the way back. That gruesome ankle injury he suffered last season that finished his 2020 campaign early, he has fully recovered from that. He was really good on Thursday against a really good Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense. He was good enough to win. And the Cowboys should be viewed as favorites in the NFC East. Even if the defensive problems of a year ago continue, and they were not good on Thursday against the Buccaneers, even with a poor defense, with Dak Prescott and those wide receivers, Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, and CeeDee Lamb, plus Zeke Elliott at running back, that is a top five offense in the NFL. And the NFC East, the NFC least, the worst division in football, or maybe the AFC South, the Cowboys, not only good enough to win that division, they should be winning that division with or without a competent defense. Dak Prescott all the way back. Cowboys fans, in fact, should be very much in the same boat as Browns fans right now. Both teams lost on the road to a team that was in the Super Bowl this past February. Both games were very close. The Browns and Cowboys both had a real chance to win. Both teams proved they are good enough to hang with the big boys. Now they go back into their own divisions where there are no teams as good as the Chiefs or Buccaneers. The AFC North is dangerous. The Ravens are good. Steelers, maybe. Bengals are in a rebuild. But the Chiefs are better than all four of the teams in the AFC North, Browns included for right now. And likewise, the Buccaneers are better than any team the Cowboys have to contend with in the NFC East. Browns and Cowboys fans, despite losing in week one, should be far more confident than, say, Texans fans. Yeah, they won week one against the Jaguars. They're not good. The Jaguars are the worst team in football, possibly, maybe, most likely. Browns fans, Cowboys fans should be very confident right now, despite losing in week one. It's not 
just wins and losses when you are trying to project the rest of the season. It's how you win, how you lose, how your roster shapes up. I trust the Browns. I trust the Cowboys because they have good rosters and they should be winning their divisions. The Cowboys, definitely. The Browns and Ravens will go back and forth, but the Browns, I think, have the better roster. The Ravens have been wrecked by injuries. And on that note, we now go west for one final stop. In the desert, Las Vegas, Nevada, where the Ravens played the Raiders last night in one of the best football games in recent memory. It was a classic. The Raiders fell behind by 14, battled back to tie the score in the fourth quarter, fell behind, tied it again, fell behind, tied it again, and forced overtime. Lamar Jackson was electric. Derek Carr was resilient. Great game. Both teams made a field goal inside the final 40 seconds. The Ravens to go ahead by three, the Raiders to tie the score and force overtime. And that overtime... This is not an exaggeration. I thought about this all last night and all this morning. That was the most entertaining overtime of any game in any sport I have ever seen. The stuff that was going on in that that extra period was almost beyond description. The Raiders had the ball at the half-yard line, only a few inches from victory on their first possession of overtime. And then Carr was stuffed on a quarterback sneak, false start, incomplete pass, and then a tip drill interception in the end zone. Now the Ravens have the ball. Now they can go win. Then Lamar Jackson is sacked. He fumbles. The Raiders recover. They get the ball back. First down run down to about the 30. John Gruden says, enough of this nonsense. Let's kick the field goal and win this game right now. But then a delay of game as they're trying to attempt the field goal. They lose the five yards. They put the offense back on the field to gain the yardage back. The Ravens bring an all-out blitz, and Derek Carr just calmly backs away from the blitz and tosses a perfect long ball downfield. Zay Jones, wide open, touchdown, walk-off Raiders win. That was insane. And it brought the curtain down on a wildly entertaining week one of the NFL. This has been all about reactions and overreactions. The proper reactions are the Chiefs are the best team in the AFC. The Browns, though, have closed the gap and are really, really, really close. Matthew Stafford and the Rams are a problem for this league. They are legitimate Super Bowl contenders. The Bears must pull the plug on Andy Dalton. They must give Justin Fields the keys to the car. The Packers are in trouble, but in a bad division, they are far from out of it. Tom Brady might actually be immortal. Dak Prescott is all the way back, and the Cowboys are favorites to win the NFC East. And the Ravens and the Raiders just gave us as good a football game as you will ever see. A reminder of why this sport and of why this league is so much fun. Don't fall for the overreactions. Don't fall for the same old Browns line. They're not. Buy into the Rams. Buy into Justin Fields. Don't quite sell your stock on the Packers yet. Buy your stock on the Cowboys. Reactions and overreactions. There have been plenty of both in the last few days. 
learn to separate the two, and enjoy the ride. 17 games for each team. It's the biggest season ever in the NFL. We are only just getting started. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Satterfield on Sports. As always, I am your host, Kyle Satterfield, saying so long and goodbye.